Okay, this one, guys, um, if you are a person who loves peace, this will probably be a, a really good one for you. And if you're one that um, likes to maybe confront, this will be a good one for you. <laughs> so, you know, we got Solomon who, uh, he's now taken over the throne because David died as recorded in uh, 1 Kings 2, 10 through uh, 12. And, uh, you know, like any transition of rule, there's some loose ends that need to be tied up from the past administration, or if you're like this current non-president, you destroy everything from the last uh, administration. Uh, so here in Kings, we have Solomon, and we've got some leftovers. Now, personally, I like leftovers. I like leftover spaghetti. I like leftover, you know, whatever. But when it comes to rule, um, sometimes the leftovers can be a benefit to the new administration. Sometimes they're actually a hindrance. So, for example, um, one of the common things is when a leader hands over something to another leader, if the first leader does not withdraw or drastically minimize their role, um, then the people will stay loyal to that leader. So that's like a, an example of that is uh, John the Baptist. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, he's got his, his group of people, and they're like, hey, look, the, you know, Jesus, they're baptizing people, which, by the way, Jesus never baptized anyone with water. Um, his disciples did that work. But uh, John's like, that's fine. In fact, he has to increase... I must decrease and so some of his followers actually left him at that point and they went over to the Lord and uh, whenever I um, uh, led the greeters at an old church when I knew it was time for me to transition out um, I selected another leader and I actually got completely out of greeting which I kind of wanted to stay in but just not as a leader but I knew that I needed to completely get out and that's even more important for people with very strong leadership personality roles. Um, one of the most important lessons I learned is uh, when you're sitting around people, ask them what all they're doing with God and what all He's showing them and just be quiet. Um, you know, challenge people to start off something and you just be quiet. Because when you're uh, a perceived leader, which everybody is, so I use that term perceived leader because, again, we're all ministers, um, people will default to the strongest leader. And so that for those that like to follow, it's really important for you to share and to step up because it's like hiding treasure from everybody else. Everybody has great things to share, and so it's important to be a voice. So... I want to give you the definition of a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. This is one of the most revelatory things I got as far as that years ago. I don't know if I read it, if I heard it, or if the Holy Spirit gave it to me. I have no idea where it came from. But a peacekeeper is one who will keep the peace at all costs. Yeah. So uh, they hate conflict. They will stay away from conflict. Eventually they'll explode, though. That's the problem. So then it's dealt with, but not dealt with, you know, properly. And it also enables bad behavior in others and can even put some people in danger. You know, if you have an abusive situation, 
Usually you see a peacekeeper married to someone that's not, and they can end up in some terrible situations. So that's why in the Beatitudes, uh, it's not in your notes, but let's just look at that really quick. <clears throat> Sorry, guys, uh, weeds and stuff, I tell you. Okay, so in uh, Matthew 5, 9, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So a sign of maturity is the willingness to confront in order to make peace. So peacemakers have brave communication. Uh, peacemakers are wise. There's some things you don't need to say anything. You know what I mean? It's not that you're trying to keep the peace at all costs. It's just dumb. It, it won't matter. Uh, or it's recognizing that people are at varying levels. Okay. Uh, but a peacemaker operates in agape because agape is willing to again make a mess and confront in order to have true peace. The most prime example of that is the Lord who was willing to have his flesh ripped off of him and, and be on a cross, absolutely naked, nothing on him whatsoever, irrecognizable, so that we could have true peace. And uh, so that's what peacemakers are about. So again, the phrase, uh, they will be called sons of God, uh, that word sons is the one that re refers to mature sons and daughters. So being a peacekeeper is a sign of immaturity. And I've had a lot of experiences, you know, like where I've had to drive, uh, you know, eight mile or eight hours to someone to say, hey, you're getting into legalism. You know, I've had to have difficult phone conversations like, hey, if you don't quit griping about living here, you're never going to move. I mean, there's so many, you know, Hey, you can't, you know, as a 20-something be sleeping with a 15-year-old. That's just not good, and you should probably go to jail. Uh, I mean, there's just so many, you know, things that I've had to have conversation with, uh, conversations about. But the other side of it is there's been plenty of times I've wanted to say, hey, quit being stupid. And the Holy Spirit's like, hey, that's just a personal offense to you. You just need to be quiet. Okay? So that's how that works. Ego will show itself when you're not like, I'm not going to let people treat me like that, or I'm not going to blah, 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 or, and you get all bowed up, right? There's definitely the idea of don't allow yourself to be a doormat, but whenever you're, you know, it's this personal thing, I'm not going to allow people to treat me this way, now you're in pride. Now it's ego. The other attitude is, I'm a child of God, therefore I'm going to set healthy boundaries I'm going to address this bad behavior. If this person doesn't change how they treat me, then I'm going to adjust the relationship accordingly. You think that uh, when we were talking Friday about the, the countenance, mm -hmm. that that's part of that peace, that inner peace that's uh, visible, basically? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, with that being said, a peacemaker is willing to embrace conflict in order to pursue true peace. So for the S personalities in here, um, y'all will tend more toward the peacekeeper versus peacemaker. For the D personalities, we uh, tend toward more wanting to um, pick a fight at the slightest provocation, uh, and we actually enjoy 
stirring up things a little bit. So I'm sure you can see how both sides there. Like I forgot to tell Mike, the guy from North Carolina that I visited with as far as um, launching an ecclesia there, uh, he took our course. He uh, said, I have an idea that you're an acquired taste. <laughs> that's, that's a D. We're acquired taste. Some people spit us out. You know, kind of like babies eating, you know, spinach or all. Yeah, no, I don't think so. And sometimes it's deserved because I often apologize for uh, D's because we can be really, you know, just jerks. Okay, so now with that context, we have Solomon establishing his rule. Solomon was called to um, live in peace, to build the house of God in peace. He was uh, going to uh, rule in peace, all of those things. So peace was a very important word for him. Yet, let's look at how he dealt with some of those leftovers from David's um, uh, former administration. So we're going to start in 1 Kings 2, 13, and uh, we're in the English Standard. Uh, what did we decide we were going to call him? Ad Adonijah? Adon. Okay, Adonijah, for those that are just tuning in, Adon from now on. <laughs> then Adon, the son of Haggith, I guess. They just There's weird names here. Came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, do you come peacefully? He said, peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine. And, all that, and, and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the king, kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Okay, is it yours or not? You know what I mean? Like, can y'all see his duplicity immediately? We all know I should be the true king. Okay, we all know that. But it appears that Solomon's now king, and it was from the Lord. Now, this is important for peacekeepers uh, because... When people come to you in agreement, sometimes a peacekeeper will let their guard down and not hear the rest of what is being said or watch the body language. Let me give you an example. And I'm going to interrupt myself a lot because I want to give you guys nuggets and they're probably not in your notes. Recently dealt with a lady who her husband is a narcissist and a psychopath and uh, I think probably a very real danger if not for the protection of the Holy Spirit. And he wanted a divorce. So when it finally came out, he was giddy. Okay? And I was all, huh. Because he was giddy, and yet what he would say is, if I didn't make all these mistakes or blah, blah, you know, I, we wouldn't even need a divorce, but with a divorce we can start over. Um, you know, I, it's all my fault, blah, blah. He'd cry, you know. I mean, if I could reverse things, if we could, you know, I would in a heartbeat. But his... His behavior and the fact that he was still going through with the divorce didn't match what he was saying. And she was very confused because she's a peacekeeper. And so he would say these things and then she'd feel sorry for him. And I said, why are you feeling sorry for him? He was giddy in announcing the divorce. And if he truly didn't want it, he could stop it at any minute because he knows you would take him back. And she's like, oh, so what happened? Her initial observance of him actually being happy to say, right, I want a divorce, and then later his fake caring for her when she's on the side of the road with a flat tire right after he said that, confused her, and so his demonstration of kindness, okay, it made her dismiss the giddiness. 
So it took someone to come alongside her and say, that's not real. And sure enough, he was already dating someone else. Okay? So that's very important where we have him, you know, we know the kingdom belonged to me, but it appears it's my brothers, you know, from the Lord. So it worked because he goes on, and now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. He said, please ask King Solomon, he will not refuse you, to give me Abishag the Shunammite as my wife. Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Now here's what's going on. If he would have gotten Abishag as his wife, he would have been king. Because one of the takeovers back in the day was you would take their wife. So remember when Absalom crowned himself as king? What did he do? He slept with the concubines of David on the rooftop in front of all of Israel. So that was a hostile takeover. But Bathsheba didn't recognize what was going on. Now one reason she may not have recognized what was going on is because Abishag and David never consummated any marriage. But still, the implication was there and Adon was trying to get in through that and maybe it was enough to get on crowned. Okay? So, here he's, you know, acting like he recognizes Solomon's king. He's asking for Abishag. She's like, okay, I'll go ahead and do that. Verse 19. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adon, and the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. Then he sat on his throne. He had a seat brought for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adon, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother and said, Why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adon? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, and on his side are Abiathar the priest and Joab the son of Zeruah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adon his life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adon shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaniah and struck him down, and he died. This is so crucial because Solomon recognized his role as a peacemaker. And now you may think, well, that's probably pretty normal, you know, back then with the thrones and stuff. I don't think for his personality style it was necessarily um, normal for him to just start killing people uh, if he was a D possibly but I think he was more than likely a CS personality or at least a CD and so he obviously recognized a threat to the work of God because he said I swear by the Lord you know he wasn't this wasn't any personal affront he recognized the manipulation you know, his mother had no idea, and he saw this is a threat to the purpose of God and the word of the Lord. So, got a uh, situation with a group of people. A uh, new guy has been coming a few times to their meeting, and everybody, they're getting something's wrong. Something's wrong with this guy. And uh, so I'm watching their conversation, just seeing what, you know, what is developing. And uh, even a person who doesn't yet know the Lord is saying he's creepy. Something's wrong with this guy. Third, third visit, he wants to lead the meeting. 
So I instantly thought about Elijah, dude. Right. And uh, so the evangelist of the group is like, you know, guys, we need to love, you know, we need to give them a chance, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, actually, love is not allowing a wolf to come into your meeting and destroy it. Now, whether he's a wolf or not, I don't know. He could be a baby that's not yet, you know, taught and discipled, or maybe he is a wolf. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that Elijah did split up and destroyed the group over in Portalis because people were like, well, we need to show love. Right. Love is not allowing a wolf into the sheepfold to kill him. That's not love at all. So whatever, um, and, and in fact, with this particular group, I had warned them, the enemy will send in people. And again, I don't know if that's this guy, but I did say, you need to heed the warnings of what everybody's feeling because something's up and there is no way I would give him a platform, you know. So anyway, it's a very interesting situation, and I encourage him to ask him about his born-again experience. And that way they know for sure if he's born again, and who is Jesus to you? Because built on the foundation he's a Christ is the ecclesia, right? So if you can't say he's a Christ or he's God in the flesh, you're not born again. And then you approach him from a different manner. Okay? So, here he goes. He has to kill him. All right. I was going to say, when you, this cycle, the same scenario, I'll put it that way. If you're a history buff and you go back in England and it was so and so had this mistress and so therefore they have a claim yep. on the leadership and we've got to kill them. And, mm -hmm. we, and there's all that mix and blend and bloodlines. It was any little small thing that, so that usually the guys behind the person. Could, could take power, and mm -hmm. that's what we're gonna. That's what this basically is. Well, and if you look at all the wives and concubines that Solomon had, it was all about power yeah. and treaties, and it got him in trouble. Yeah, very good. Okay, now we're gonna look at Abiathar or Abiathar, however you say it. Um, the uh, priest. I was checking to make sure that Dorina wasn't gonna get the pronouncing on her phone, and then <laughs> like last week, you know. Uh, okay, so, um, and to Aethar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth to your estate, because you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David my father, and because you shared in all of my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled him from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Guess who was supposed to fulfill the word of the Lord? Saul. And uh, so here we've got uh, Solomon uh, ending that. Okay, so, you know, this priest, when he came to David, he was one of the first and the strongest supporters of David. And uh, he uh, is actually one of the rare survivors that was able to get out of the city of Nob when Saul had all the priests and their wives and children, I think even the animals maybe killed there um, uh, for supporting David, which, by the way, was gossip from Doeg the Edomite, so he was half Jew, half uh, from the descendant of Esau. Um, Abiathar was a descendant of Eli. He possessed the ephod, which contained the Urim and, uh, is it Thummim? 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 Uh, this enabled him to seek God's will for David during crises. 
He served alongside Zadok, who was um, not of the line of Eli, uh, and he served David well until Adon. Even during Absalom's rebellion, he supported David. And so this is where I think he agreed that Adon was the rightful uh, heir to the throne. That, I think that's why. Um, and maybe he was religious, and he didn't like the idea of Solomon, who was the son of Bathsheba, being king. We, we don't know for sure, but we do know that he actually did know God chose Solomon. He knew it. And instead of supporting the word of the Lord, he went with Adon, and for that he was expelled. Zadok chose faith in God's choice. Abiathar chose human reasoning. So for that, he was deposed and banished to his estate. Then we have Joab. Joab is a very interesting character. I, I want to study him just to get in this guy's head. He's like an enigma to me. He was extremely loyal to David, yet he wasn't. You know, he was concerned about how David ruled, and then he wasn't. I mean, it, it's a, he's very interesting. I think he's probably an opportunist. His opportunist is what he was. But in verse 28, it says, When the news came to Joab, Joab for Joab had supported Adon, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord. He caught hold of the horns of the altar. <clears throat> and when it was, <clears throat> excuse me, when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord. Behold, he is beside the altar. Solomon sent Benaiah, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. And he said, No, I will die here. And he's like, Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. So Benaiah, he went back to the king, told him he won't move, uh, saying, Joab, uh, has said, wait, uh, jo thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. The king said, Do as he has said. Strike him down. Bury him. And thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father, David, he attacked and killed the, with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself. Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jethro, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. So Benaiah, the son of whoever, went up and struck him down and put him to death. And he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king uh, put Benaiah over the army in place of Joab, and he put Zadok, the priest, in place of uh, Abiathar. Now, that was uh, unprecedented. If I'm not mistaken, I think any time you went into the house and you grabbed the horns, that was like an immunity. Kind of like if people flee today and they go into like a Catholic church or wherever. We had laws of sanctuary where you, you know, law enforcement could not go into a church and get someone out. It was considered, you know, sacred and set apart. Nowadays, you know, they shut down churches. Um, but that was the process. So the fact that Solomon's like, kill him anyway, is very interesting. But did y'all see the irony? Did anybody see the irony in that whole situation? He basically said, just do whatever he said. I know, but the yeah. irony of here you have Solomon, the son of the wife of David, that David stole from one of his mighty men, that David had Joab kill is now executing justice for him shedding 
innocent blood. Mm. Now, when I read that, I'm like, Some you know what? That just <laughs> that sounds a little unjust. And so I, I had to have that question answered. And Joab was actually David's nephew. And I think that's probably why he was more lenient with him like everybody else is because it was his nephew. Um, he was one of the most brave and skilled of his warriors. I mean, he served him well in that respect. Uh, he suppressed, you know, um, rebellions, won many king values for uh, battles for David. Um, he recognized that Absalom was going to be a, a problem, and so he handled it himself. Um, but it appears that the reference that Solomon is referring to, Joab killed Abner in revenge for Abner killing Joab's brother <coughs> despite Abner's new loyalty to David. Not to mention Abner tried to get Joab's brother to stop pursuing him and later um, killing his own cousin Amasa. Um, so there was like this family feud going on, but still it doesn't, the irony and so I was like, okay, Lord, explain this to me because I'm a little bit irritated. When I read it, I was a little bit irritated. I'm like, that's not justice. I don't like that. And he said, well, first of all, David repented. Therefore, that sin no longer had any place. So justice was already taken care of. There was nothing to, to judge. So to say that it's an irony that Solomon is going after the guy that killed Uriah is looking at it from a point of, as if the sin was still there. So because David repented, that was no longer there. Therefore, it was not unjust. The other thing that was very important, he told me, is that the vengeance on the enemy, that it was the son of Bathsheba executing justice and righteousness, that the fact that it was Solomon executing this justice was a slap in the face to the enemy's plans of David and Bathsheba and them being destroyed. The only thing that kept David from being deposed was because he repented. That was the only thing. And uh, so anyway, it was an, it was um, kind of like if you go through a trial, if you come out, you know, you come out of it on the other side and you've learned lessons and your faith is strong and now you help others with the same thing, that's what this is. So it was vengeance uh, on the enemy. So after that, I was like, okay, okay. Now, um, I also found out that it was actually in the law of Moses that um, you can go into the altar and, and be taken care of. However, because Joab was a murderer, he could not claim that right. Yeah, yeah. So the law wasn't broken. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. Okay, the final one that he's going to have to deal with is, let's just call him Shimmy. And uh, unless you have a better nickname, Richard. Yeah, Shimmy was a real character. Shimmy of the Sham. Shimmy, Shimmy. <laughs> okay, so in verse 36, then the king sent and summoned, summoned Shimmy and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there to any place, whatever. For on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Now remember, these are people that sided with Adon. Okay, so he's having to deal with them. Know for certain that you shall die, and your blood will be on your own head. And Shimei said to the king, What you say is good. As my lord the king has said, so will your servant do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. 
But it happened at the end of three years that two of Shimei's servants ran away to Achish, son of Maka, <laughs> king of Gath. And when it was told Shimei, Behold, your servants are in Gath, Shimei arose and saddled a donkey. He went to Gath to seek his servants. Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And when Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned, the king sent and summoned Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, No, for certain, that on the day you go out and go to any place, whatever, you'll die. And you said to me, What you say is good, I will obey. Why have you not kept your oath to the Lord? Notice that. And the commandment with which I commanded you. The king also said to Shimei, You know in your own heart all the harm you did to David my father. So the Lord will bring back your harm on your own head. But King Solomon, now he shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, and he went out, struck him dead, and he died. So the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. Now I don't know if y'all caught this, but in every instance he is speaking his prophecy. Isn't that neat? Every instance. What does that tell us? His driving force was his word. If there, The greatest example to me, even surpassing Moses, of someone being driven in every single decision being filtered through the word is Solomon. But with that also came a greater responsibility to obey the Lord right and to have identity because he did not have those two things very very clearly set and cement he also did not live up to the level of revelation that he had and because he did not live up to the revelation that he possessed he then fell and the kingdom was divided after his death in america especially maybe the western church we there's revelation at our fingertips i mean we can get our phone and just put in whatever we want to know and we can read things and how much are we consuming like you know how when you sit down and you eat chips and before you know it the whole bag's gone and the only evidence that you ate the whole bag is all the crumbs in your lap and on your shirt it's that's kind of how we are in this culture is we will just consume doctrine consume 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 you gotta know that whatever you consume, there is a responsibility that comes with that. And so for him, he had such revelation, and yet he did not walk in it or had the integrity that was needed to walk in it, and of course he fell. So I find it interesting. He always went back to his call. So here's the thing. First of all, there's a lot of human reasoning here. Adon, humanly reasoned, he was the next king. The priest humanly reasoned that he was the next king. Shimei humanly reasoned that surely Solomon would give him some leniency so he could go get his servants back. And Bathsheba. Yeah. She went to Solomon. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's obviously if you have two servants that ran away, you got to go get them back. He probably thought there would be some, you know, provision for that. No, no. And see, here's the thing Solomon always brought back what the agreement was. Like any good parent, see, he had to establish his rule, I do what I say. If I tell you, blah, 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 and you don't do it, I will do what I told you. 
It was so refreshing when President Trump became president. If he warned someone, like Afghanistan, ISIS, you do this and this, the red line, you know, it was very plain. What did he do? Drop the biggest bomb we have that came out of cannon on ISIS. Killed, what, 100 in a day or something? I mean, it was amazing. He kept his word. Peacemakers keep their word even to their own hurt. Does that make sense? Peace. Here's the thing. Peacekeepers will lie to avoid conflict. I just think it's interesting that each one of his basically enemies, mm -hmm. it was their own word that condemned them. It wasn't his pronouncement. It was it was like you said the agreement. Yeah. But it was it was their word, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to see that. If we're not seeing it now, that the enemy and these people that come up and say this ought to happen, this ought to happen, this ought to happen. Yeah. And I think it will. It will. But it's going to come back and as a judgment on themselves. I agree. Their own words will be yes. will condemn them. Well, I mean, I think it's Matthew, doesn't it, that you're, you'll be judged by every idle or useless word. Yeah. Whatever word does not add to the life of uh, a person or yourself or in general, you'll be judged for it. And uh, now, I think the reason that he um, went after Joab immediately is because I bet Joab gave Adon the idea to take the Shunammite. See, because he was scheming. He was a schemer. And I think that's probably why uh, he was instantly uh, taken care of. So, God is loyal to those who are loyal to him. And that's often demonstrated significantly in how loyal you are to one another. You know? And refusing to get into manipulative tactics and things like that uh, to get your way. So, there are several things that David did. I do not agree with, like killing Uriah, not disciplining Amnon for raping Absalom's sister, for banishing Absalom, for doing what David should have done, etc. But David had captured God's heart. And my perspectives on some things, they might be wrong. You know what I mean? There's no telling. There's no telling. Well, we won't find out till we get to heaven. But the fact is that God absolutely was head over heels in love with David. And I heard you know? and I agreed that I think it's because he had such a spirit of worship mm -hmm. that, you know, he understood how to worship. Yeah, he did. Okay, so David never self-promoted. He trusted God to put him in place as king. Therefore, anyone who cursed him or tried to take his throne ended up six feet under. And now Solomon was dealing with his father's enemies who had now become his enemies. So we read it earlier, Matthew 5, 9. I guess I did put it in the notes. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The word peacemakers is restore peace by definition. And sometimes that means dealing with someone who is disrupting true peace. The threat wasn't just to Solomon. It was to the word of the Lord. And that's why he kept saying it over and over and over. That was his basis, his legality. Uh, but for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord evermore. Everything he did was for that word. And of course, we talked about the irony. But let me read to you the, um, the, the bold here. It's an incredible picture of the absolute truth of God's forgiveness of sin. It's also an incredible picture of the invitation of God to restore those things that, were, that are lost through our own mistakes and sin. 
like God prophesied to Eve that through her would come the Savior after she ate from the tree. It's also an incredible picture of uh, the phrase the Lord told the Pharisees about how if you don't realize your need for healing a physician, you will remain sick. So Joab never saw his actions as things that need repentance. He was right in his own eyes. David carried a humility that created a dependence on God that was quite remarkable. He made mistakes, but when confronted, he repented and he trusted the Lord's judgments. It's unsettling to think that we can be so attached to our own ideas and opinions that we might fail to see how God sees. We might think that our mind is His mind. True humility is agreement with God's assessment and trust in His judgments. Judge, uh, when it talks, whenever Solomon basically is decreeing here, but for David and his descendants and his house and his throne, that includes us. And I think sometimes we forget you know, mm-hmm. we have such an abstract idea of the lineage, the physical lineage. We, we neglect that that's, you know, the spiritual lineage. Oh, absolutely. Because of He's Jesus. Our ancestry. Mm-hmm. And that's our ancestry. So well, we have that promise. We do. And, you know, I, what I think is interesting is we see this played out in uh, the political <coughs> landscape today. Because um, you have President Trump who was offensive to many people, and many Christians especially. And yet he had captured God's attention in his heart. And you could feel it. You could feel the the flavor, the favor on him. Which always (laughs) baffled me why other Christians couldn't see it, and I realized there was a a human understanding and reasoning going on. Um, But here's the thing. Everyone that has attacked him, if they've had anything hidden, guess what? (laughs) A very prime example is Como. Yes. Creepy porn lawyer. He's in jail, prison. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so the establishment, they always think they are winning. Yet, if they don't get judged here, they will later. And we don't want that. You know, we want them to be born again. So it's very, very interesting. And here's the thing that people don't understand. People like President Trump lived out loud. They couldn't find a single thing on them except that one recording. And I remember um, when I was listening to the, the book that uh, Corey Lewandowski, another guy, wrote about him, Let, uh, Let Trump Be Trump or whatever it was. Um, when they brought that to him, he said, I didn't say that, did I? Like, he couldn't remember it. And they're like, we're, we're, yeah, it, it's you, Mr. Trump. Well, let me listen to it. And when he listened to it, he said, well, that is me. He said, okay, what are we going to do about this? You know, and so he went with their strategy. Now, was it wrong what he said? Absolutely. Uh, I know Lance Wall now has talked a lot about in 2005, 2006. He had a reckoning. He had where he wanted to be a better father, a, a better husband, a better person. And so he shifted his life from that playboy. But even when he was a playboy, you know they dug in every nook and cranny to find something, right? So he always had a moral compass. Now, the reason that people that go after him, if anything's hidden, comes out is because he lived with integrity. And so people that live with integrity have nothing to hide. And when they, you know, something comes up that maybe they did in the past, they don't remember it, they don't try to hide it, they don't try to gloss over it. And I can guarantee you he felt probably some shame and embarrassment during that time. 
but he handled it very smartly. So here we have all these people here, and David lived genuine. He lived genuine. And so, now it did take a year for him to repent of the Bathsheba thing. But once it was brought to, see, that's, the, that's a problem with deception. You don't know you're deceived, right? And he probably let being a king get to his head. So we want to question our own thoughts and opinions. And if you're a D, you're going to be even more opinionated. If you're a C, probably even more so. Um, I think everybody battles that. Some are more stubborn to their opinions and mindsets than others. But we need to always question. I will ask the Lord, you show me, show me, show me this. What, you know, this is my opinion. What are you saying? So, for example, the whole election thing. I was like, okay, I can see it through eyes. I genuinely believe it was stolen. But there was too much prayer for it to be stolen and you not know. So what's going on here? What is this? And that's when he began to show me specific key things. For example, one where any president elected or re-elected in a 20 was assassinated. So there, you know, there's a lot of things going on. A couple didn't die. Lincoln didn't, but he was elected in 80. Right? So it's a very interesting deal there. Whether that would have happened or not, I don't know. But I do know that we were all praying for him not to be assassinated at the very end. So there's just a lot of things that we need to be careful. The final scripture is Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Now these were David's instructions to Solomon. Remember Solomon wrote that. This was the instructions his parents taught him. Trust. Acknowledge. Excuse me. Acknowledge. Fear of the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't be wise. Turn away from evil. The word lean means to rely or to support oneself. And understanding is comprehension, discernment, and righteous action. So what you view as possibly being righteous action might actually be opposed to God. A great example of that is Saul killing the Christians. He thought he was doing God's work. So, and there's a prophecy, isn't there, about people that will start targeting Christians in the church. People in the church that will start targeting Christians because they think they're doing God's oh, yeah. work. So that's coming. That's Matthew 24 where brother will turn against brother, etc., etc. So you want to be really careful with that because it's been done over and over. And that's why when the Lord came to Saul, he said it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? Because he had an inkling what he was doing wasn't right. And his conscience was bothering him. And the Lord's like, you're resisting your conscience. You know what you're doing is not correct. So, uh, leaning on your own understanding actually reveals a heart that doesn't trust the Lord with all of it. Trust is the safety and security one feels from relying on someone or something else. And acknowledge is a verb. Meaning to know, to learn, to perceive, to discern, to experience, to confess, to consider, to know people relationally and experientially. Ways is your paths of life. What this means is that you're always perceiving Him, experiencing Him, considering Him in the context of your relationship with Him in your day-to-day -day life. So if you think He's mad at you, guess what? That's how you're going to interact with Him. You think he's pleased with you because you have faith? Guess what? That's how you're going to interact with him. 
So our perception is always the baseline of our experience with Him. It's from the revelation of what He's teaching you that your paths are straightened. What is He doing? What is He showing you? Etc. Etc. He's so practical. Straight paths are from learning His ways and then adjusting yourself as needed. Alright, so who, who are the um, former peacekeepers in the house? <laughs> I know G is. Okay. And then who are the pe peacemakers that like to maybe stir up stuff a little bit? <laughs> so I just feel like that's a good lesson for both sides. You know, it's like we need to be mature, whether it's in peacemaking or mature in. And a really good example, by the way, of an immature peacemaker is Moses because he killed the guy that was attacking the Hebrew, right? He had an anger issue. And so he had to run for, what, 40 years, lived on the backside of the desert because he had that desire to create peace. He had that call to his people, and yet he went about it in an immature way. He had to get matured, came back, and set a nation free. But then his anger kept him out of the you know, promised land. Anger is not the answer. Be slow to anger. You know, that's... that. I, man, when I was raising Kent... And I can still get fiery, I mean, in case y'all didn't notice. Um, but when I was raised, I read for a month every scripture I could find on anger. <laughs> because it was too habitual. It was too automatic. It was it just was a first response, which is very typical for a deep personality. But I, I had to get an answer because I didn't want to affect Kent in a harmful way, you know, raising him as a little boy. And uh, I was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, he's like, I want you to get every single scripture on anger and just read it every day as part of your devotion time. I said, okay. And that's what I did. And I didn't feel nothing. I didn't, you know, there was no supernatural. I'm just sitting out on the side watching my Blue Jays, reading the Word, you know. And all of a sudden I realized I wasn't responding in that way how I did before. And uh, now, I watch too much Fox News. I regress in my anger management. And I have to go back you know, I feel it right now. <laughs> All right, well, let's pray. Oh, anybody have anything else? Will we make sure? All right. Okay, well, Father, we thank you so much for the fact that the Prince of Peace lives on the inside of us. Therefore, because of that, we're able to execute peace. I mean, we're able to send that out. We're able to walk into a situation that is without peace and bring that very important part of who you are. And uh, also, we have agape love on the inside of us. According to Romans 5.5, 5, it's been poured out in us by the Holy Spirit. And so that love then becomes the source of how we execute peace. Is it a, a, a time to confront? Is it a time to not, to be silent? Because it's not that... Uh, big of a deal. It's not a battle that needs to be waged. And so, Father, for those of us that are uh, peace uh, keepers, I ask that you help uh, with the courage and the bravery that's needed for difficult conversations. I ask that they always filter whether or not to have a conversation through, is this person my assignment? And does this situation threaten the word of the Lord? And for those of us that are peacemakers, I pray that you help us answer the question of, is this my ego? 
Am I just, you know, upset and stirring up stuff just because it's fun? So I ask that you help a peacemaker, those of us that are peacemakers, to answer those questions and to take the time to cool off before having that conversation and to get your mind uh, regarding that person. And so, Father, I ask you to help us to balance both because you're a lion and you're a lamb and those that are mature know the kindness and the severity of the Lord very clearly. And we want to be those type of people that embrace and uh, have a passion for your judgments and even your return, but at the same time also understand that you're long-suffering. So, Father, we want to live in that tension of truth. And this morning, we give you our tithes and offerings, not under any obligation whatsoever, but because we love you and we're loyal to you, and by giving to you, that is a pledge. And so, we ask Jesus that you take our tithes and offerings uh, to you this morning. And Father, we're getting to the point in our finances where we can give tangible and substantial um, offerings to our city, families, where we're, we're getting into that place. So I ask for our very first assignment to some type of um, either fire department, police department, the city, uh, you know, whatever it is, so we can be a blessing and solve a problem that needs to be solved in our city. So I asked you, bring that to us because there's probably so many issues. I'm not sure where we would need to start. We thank you for that. We give you honor. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Um.